Oh my! I feel something having a powerful effect on the very fabric of time. You may be wondering what happened to those two. Did they complete their journey home? Of course. Or perhaps not. <laughs> Sadly, the flow of time is slippery, and the guru of time can only answer with so much certainty. Well, I cannot say of their future. I can see their past quite clearly. Or at least, I've recorded it here in the Zeal Archives. Let's see. Where did it all begin? Long ago, the War of the Magi reduced the world to a scorched wasteland, and magic simply ceased to exist. One thousand years have passed. Iron, gunpowder, and steam engines have been rediscovered, and high technology reigns. But there are those who would enslave the world by reviving the dread destructive power known as magic. Can it be that those in power are on the verge of repeating a senseless and deadly mistake? T, your line. Sorry about that. I was just checking a text. Um, isn't it Z's line? No, you said you wanted to do Biggs's line. Oh, right. Did you know that Biggs is named after Biggs Darklighter from Star Wars? Like, not even a translation thing. It's actually supposed to be Biggs and Wedge. <sighs> Plus, Z ran to the bathroom, so just wait a sec. How did you manage to get permission to use the recording studio anyway? As one of the top sales associates of Audiovisual Solutions Tech, I managed to pull some strings. Just one of the many perks of the job. If you say so best I've managed to get access to is the soldering iron, and even that has been a bit of an ask. Possibly because you weren't exactly fixing anything with the soldering iron. I mean, research and development is like future fixes. How is a mad scientist supposed to get a start in a place like this anyway? Where is he supposed to experiment? I'm not going to unpack all of that right now. Let's just go back to the top, and we'll do another take. Hey, the boss just got in. I was chatting with him, and it didn't sound like he knew anything about a recording this afternoon. Is this really okay? Yeah, let's just wrap up for now, and I'll have a chat with him. We can do this another time. What's so special about Final Fantasy VI, anyway? Final Fantasy VI is my favorite audio-visual narrative. It demands adaptation. I was always more of a fan of Chrono Trigger. Think about it. Time travel. Dimensional travel-ish. Cities in the sky. Magic. If you want time travel, and really cool magic, you should totally play Tales of Fantasia. It's even got this big bad who's like David Bowie from Labyrinth, this really distinct yet still high medieval setting, and great character. Yeah, pretty much any video game would be better than reality, especially when you've got 30 more sales calls to make in the day. But... What about 
Doom. Okay, not Doom, obviously. Hmm. Maybe Animal Crossing? I don't know. Tom Nook and his home loan program sound a little too real for me. Look, can we talk about this another time? Inasmuch as I'd love to discuss the merits of teleporting to a video game world, especially the best game ever, I've got a crapload of work to get through. Speaking of which... Hello? This is Nicholas calling from Audiovisual Solutions Tech about your contract expiring. Hello? It's going to be a long day. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zeal Archives covering the A to Z of the world of Chrono Trigger. Today, as we dig into the archives, we'll be doing our own time traveling back to 1992 to talk about the creation and release of Chrono Trigger, uh, and also how the future did not refuse to change. With me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Nick G. Hey, hey. And uh, I've got a question for you to kick things off, G. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you think back, way back, longer than I'd like to admit, way back to when Chrono Trigger was released or when you were acquainted with it? And tell me a little bit about that time in in video game history. I want to say, probably didn't get to it too long after it was released, but the first time I played it, I rented it from a a video store in my little town. So it probably wasn't wasn't on release date or anything like that. But the first thing I remember doing was starting a new game plus. Because a new game is good, but a new game plus sounds even better. So... (laughs) So I just did it, and then it, I arbitrarily chose one of the files. I didn't realize what was like going on, and then I just used Lightning Two for the whole game. <laughs> I don't know if I f- if I figured out exactly what was going on, but I wasn't like, "Oh, this is stupid. This game's too easy." Like I, I like I played through because I was fascinated with it, and then I think I eventually started an actual new game, and I was like, "Oh man, this is a lot harder." Yeah, but yeah. The first time I played it, I was just breezing. I was just breezing through it. I guess basically just playing it for the story. Yeah, and that that would probably make it easier to digest the story. I definitely didn't play Chrono Trigger when it came out. I definitely played it on emulator, even though there were other Super Nintendo games that I played, like uh, Secret of Evermore or Earthbound. Um, but I probably didn't play it until like closer to like the end of the '90s, when I was already well into things like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. In any case, I I wanted to like take a look at like what was the kind of state of the art at the time that Chrono Trigger came out. In North America, Chrono Trigger came out in August of 1995. For reference, the PlayStation 1 didn't debut until about a month later. The Sega Saturn came earlier, but I don't think I know anyone that had the Sega Saturn. That friggin' breaks my head open that PlayStation came out a month after Chrono Trigger. It's like mind-blowing, right? I I think of PlayStation as being like like after the 64 or something like that. Yeah, and the N- I, I have it written down here. The N64 didn't come out until June of 1996, so like almost a year later. Wow. And like there were other RPGs that came out around the time of Chrono Trigger. Uh, Lufia 2, a game I haven't ever played, came out a year later after, after it. Uh, Super Mario RPG, also about a year afterwards. Breath of Fire 2, one of your favorites, G, mm-hmm. came out later in 1995 in December. Secret of Evermore in October of that year. Earthbound before Chrono Trigger in June. Mm. Final Fantasy VI or three, because that mm. was that was its own mess, came out a year earlier in October of 1994. But all these games came out, like, it's just interesting looking at Chrono Trigger compared to these other games both before and after and how different they all were. 
Well, I can tell you that I definitely didn't play Chrono Trigger in 1995 because the first RPG I ever played was Breath of Fire 2, and that wasn't brand new either when I played it. So uh, I was a little bit removed, a little bit behind, I think. I still remember thinking at the time that Super Nintendo was like going to be the the system forever. Like I hadn't, I started at the Super Nintendo, so I didn't have any idea of like the the console cycle. Yeah, which is a lot more apparent now. <laughs> yes. Going back to that time as well, even if it wasn't the exact time of Chrono Trigger, but in, in that era of gaming, what was it like being a fan of the genre? Because I think when we one of the things that we bonded over when we met uh, wasn't actually Chrono Trigger, but it was also this kind of love of, of RPGs, particularly Square RPGs. Well, when you've had the best, why have the rest? <laughs> See, he's not here to defend the rest, so I'm going to take every opportunity <laughs> I get. <laughs> it was kind of like, and this happened a little bit later in my life. It's kind of like the first time I listened to prog rock. I was like, oh, you can do this? Because before then, I just played like platformers and stuff. And I like enjoyed them. You know, I had, I had like Mario World and uh, Link to the Past. And I also had like Street Fighter, I think, for Super Nintendo. And then I played Breath of Fire 2. And I was like, oh. You can tell this like like long, cool story and your characters level up and evolve as you play. I was like, that, that was like a whole nother level for me. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that there were games like this. So that then that became like basically the only kind of game that I wanted to play. <laughs> I played Breath of Fire 2. I played Final Fantasy 3. I played Fantasy Star 4. And I played Chrono Trigger. I think in that order. I was just thinking about your prog rock comment because like Nobuo Uematsu composer of many of the final fantasy games and a little bit of, of chrono trigger as well has like a bunch of prog roots as well and i i think we've talked on separate podcasts about how like that sound kind of pervades a lot of earlier rpgs i couldn't count the amount of times that when <laughs> when living with roommates i'd have prog blasting and they would just refer to it as video game <laughs> so that was great discovering all those games and then very quickly anticipating new ones. Like I think I remember Mario RPG coming out. I don't know if you were a subscriber, but I was of uh, Nintendo Power. Since issue 39. Oh, wow. Mer- Mario Paint. Definitely earlier than, than I was. <laughs> but I, I definitely remember seeing like there was a post. Actually, you had the poster. I saw it on the wall. I did have the poster. The Super Mario RPG poster. Yeah. So I must have known it was coming out. I think if Chrono Trigger hadn't been there, Super Mario RPG might have been like my favorite. I'm not saying that it's my second favorite now. Just like when it hit me in my life, it might have become my favorite. But I was just like riding high on this wave of RPGs. And then when we moved over to the N64, I'm like, well, where are the RPGs? Those are, those are the games that I want to play. And then they eventually made the Game Boy Advance and DS basically just about those as far as I was concerned. <laughs> yeah, the N64. Like uh, a lot of Nintendo's direction, at, at least the home console, didn't really revolve around that that much. Or did, but they, they didn't necessarily make it here. They're like, we're doing 3D now. Okay, so pipe down. This is we're doing this. This is impressive. Play this. RPGs to come later. Robotech Crystal Dreams to come never. <laughs> what? I also had that poster on my wall. <laughs> I mean, Robotech's own its own little mess. Yes. <sighs> Let's take a little stroll back because one of the things that we looked into before recording this episode is compiled a bunch of information about the creation of Chrono Trigger. And if you want to read more about it, you can check out the show notes. And there's some fascinating bits in there. But for me, it was surprising how much Chrono Trigger changed the game and and a lot of insight into how games are made, because I definitely hadn't had a lot of experience with that. The more I read about the creation of Chrono Trigger, the more it seems like this like 
not to mythologize it more than it already is, but there's like just a bunch of coincidence colliding at one time that can never be recreated sort of thing. This once in a generation situation. Yeah, there's a lot of big names that we've talked about on other podcasts as well. Akira Toriyama did the art and he was the character designer for Dragon Quest, but uh, you and I know him more for, I don't know, Dragon Ball and, and all that. You know what? I never put it together until much later. Like I watched Dragon Ball and played Chrono Trigger, but I was but I didn't realize that it was Akira Toriyama doing both. No, but like now that you see it, you're like, well, there's it's not a huge surprise. Well, yeah, get, yeah the, the style is like super evident. I don't know how I, how I missed it, but. Yeah. And there's a lot of other people that were involved with the creation of the game, like Hironobu Sakaguchi, who is the producer and creator of Final Fantasy series. But it's interesting how a lot of those little coincidences played out into much bigger things. I didn't realize, for example, how big Akira Toriyama was. Like, he did the art, and you're like, okay, but the art's only part of the game. But just his involvement created this, like, interesting playground where a lot of the game developers and programmers and other artists on the project, like, could build this world. <laughs> Yeah, he would be calling the most shots if anyone had shots to call due to the success of Dragon Ball, I assume, at the time. So yeah, everyone So everyone would be super excited to like play in Akira Toriyama's sandbox. Speaking of coincidences, a lot of the game's development was kind of like, oh, we were going to do this. And, and then like it's a lot of changed directions. Originally, for example, it was going to be under the Seiken Densetsu series. So it would have been in the same kind of category as like, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which also blows my mind. <laughs> a thing I know very little about. Isn't it the RPG that, that isn't a great RPG? That was Paladin's Quest. Oh, am, am I getting those mixed up? What's the one where you collect the four crystals on the Super Nintendo? <sighs> That's probably it. Okay. Uh, but I never, I never played it. But aside from that, it's like it was originally going to be on the disk drive, but then <sighs> that didn't happen. Originally... The game, aside from it being going to be the next second and Setsu game, the Secret of Mana game that was coming out was going to be called Final Fantasy IV, but that was codenamed Chrono Trigger, and then eventually, like, Chrono Trigger became this other game. Like, there's a lot of weird little coincidences where we could have had a different game. This feels like a weird shell game. Like, if just stuff is, like, passed around, <laughs> and, like, and we we pressed stop, and this is where it landed. I didn't even include it in the notes, but it's one of the things from the research was that they spent a year just like thinking about the game before they even got people on board with the project. Like it was just Sakaguchi and Hori and Toriyama and they're just like coming up with ideas. Are those billable hours? <laughs> I, I, I'm i guessing so. Damn. I mean, get, sign, sign me up for that. I would <laughs> like to make influential <laughs> games and also make many billable hours. <laughs> uh, due to thinking yeah uh, and also if the game didn't end up on a cartridge as it did the quick transitions from field to combat wouldn't have happened either and that's surprisingly evident on the playstation version which is a port where as soon as you go into combat everything pauses for like a good three or four seconds while the game loads combat that was one of the things that people were like up in arms about over the game when it came out there is no, you're taken to a different screen. Technically, technically, no random encounters. Yeah, th everything's predetermined, yeah. I mean, the fact that you could avoid encounters by just, like, moving in a certain way. But, yeah, the, the, you run to an enemy, you're still in the, same, in the same location. Usually, it was like, the enemies are designed such that they can't, they wouldn't, they'd look weird appearing on the map. Yeah. But this was like, everything was like a sprite. So, it looked fun. That was something that I found interesting, too. 
when we think about games of that era, like uh, Final Fantasy in particular, you've got one sprite for your enemies. And mm-hmm. you can have lots of different enemies because the sprites generally don't do anything. They're they're static. Your character sprites can move a little bit, but you have a very small set of those. Yes. And so one of the design constraints of the game was because they had these enemies that were on the field sized in a reasonable way and could like move and animate, they had a lot less space to do other things, which is one of the reasons why there were less monsters. Yeah. And a lot of palette swaps, maybe. Oh, there were definitely palette swaps. (laughs) (laughs) But it's worth it because like you see the monsters like doing stuff, like when you're not fighting them. You have imps just like kicking rocks around and uh, news running away and uh, snakes chasing frogs and things like that. (laughs) It's interesting too reading about the development of the game because when you think about something like that, you're like, oh, they must have like planned out every every single detail of the game. And um, I found little bits where it seems really apparent that there was a lot of care that went into it. One of the game's graphics programmers, Yasuhika Kamata, uh, was talking about how he cited Ridley Scott's work in Alien inspiring the game's lighting and this this combination of like smoke coming out of the ground and rays of light and and you can see that in places like the cathedral but on the other hand you've got comments like yuji hori the story planner saying things like if there's a fairground i just write that there's a fairground and i don't write any of the details and then the staff brainstorm and come up with a variety of attractions like can you imagine making a game like that wow that reminds me of a story about the beatles actually okay Paul McCartney, uh, George Martin, who was the producer of the Beatles, the quote, fifth Beatle, and did a lot of the uh, arranging and studio magic. Paul McCartney would say something like, oh, but a minor key, maybe a G sharp or something like that. Whereas John Lennon would say, I want to feel like I'm at a carnival. I want to smell the sawdust. And like, that's all he would say. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's kind of like that. So we have these guys coming up with the uh, with the fun race with Gato. With the old man and his lunch, with the girl and his cat, with the drinking game. Yeah, those are all just fun details that the staff came up with, I guess. Yeah, and I keep forgetting about the dancing people in the in like the back right corner. It's definitely an area that I never go to. <laughs> Sets up sixty five mil. It, I, admittedly, it does, but like in terms of other things at the fair, it doesn't give you points. It's just like a a fun world building part. On playthrough 17, not really a necessary yeah. <laughs> uh, place to go. I didn't realize how many things were pioneered by Chrono Trigger because uh, I think at that point I'd, I'd played a bunch of RPGs that maybe already leveraged this. They introduced things like the active time event logic system, which to the layman is, hey, you can talk to NPCs and then keep wandering around or have different things happen when when you leave. I guess you would normally just freeze and yeah. the text would scroll. You'd be stuck there. It's like, oh, I accidentally said, please repeat that. And well, I hope you like reading. But now you can yeet. (laughs) You can start a conversation with someone and just leave the screen. Yeah. And in fact, as we've discovered during the race against time, that is a tip to get through some parts of the game. (laughs) There's also interesting bits about game development that I wouldn't have realized, such as, uh, you know, we take for granted in the game you go to the end of time when you acquire your fourth character and game mechanically you're like oh this is kind of a silly reason to have a location you can only have three members in your party but apparently part of the reasoning behind the end of time uh, was because during game development a lot of the testers found the game too difficult and the end of time was this nice place where you could kind of drop hints to the players without having to give them a walkthrough 
I guess this also would have been helpful since Chrono Trigger was a game that dealt with time travel, you often visited some locations multiple times. And as a result of that, there were lots of programming errors because, you know, when you visit one location, the variables change and that that can behave in unexpected ways. And I imagine that having this place to give people hints at least kind of ruled out that as a, as a problem. <laughs> it's like, oh, when you're in this place, go here and talk to this guy. Oh, not before you've done that and not in that time. But like, the, like, like it's... There's a lot of variables to take into account. And the end of time doesn't feel like hitting you over the head with walkthrough. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's got enough flavor to it that it feels like an organic part of the world. It's kind of fun that it exists. Yeah, Gaspar literally is like a little hat tip. Yeah. I mean, including stuff like Specchio and then like the, the bucket makes it interesting. Yeah, it creates a little bit of mystery. You're like, is there more of the end of time? I mean, no, but... <laughs> what if there was? What if there was? A city. Chronopolis? Chronopolis. I'm really bad on my Chrono Cross lore. Not looking forward to that part of the... (laughs) Not looking forward to when we finish Chrono Trigger. Also interesting is is how the involvement of so many different people changed... uh, Not changed, but influenced so much of the game. I think it's no secret, you know, this podcast is named after Zeal, which is in 12,000 BC, which is the coolest part of Chrono Trigger, do at us uh, at the Zeal Archives on Twitter or Facebook. 12,000 BC is like the coolest part of the game and Masato Kato, the scenario writer, story planner, and later the event planner and script writer for Final Fantasy VII, among other things Chrono Trigger related, he was the one responsible for outlining a lot of the game's story, including all of the events in 12,000 BC and also did something that I favor greatly, which is decided to take great pains to avoid, quote, a long string of errands such as do this, take this, defeat these monsters, or plant this flag. Having played many RPGs of that era, I am so glad that Chrono Trigger didn't have that until the DS version. Yeah, I was going to say, it probably didn't get called in for the DS version. But, um, I mean, that might even be part of what makes 12,000 stand out as well. It's not like, okay, go to this cool kingdom and get this thing and then come back. When you are there, you're kind of in the process of exploring it. Yeah, and then by the time you kind of have a little bit of a grasp of what's going on, your time's over. Yeah. And we got to take down that fascism, but uh, it looks beautiful. I never... Oh, man. (laughs) That's a topic for an episode on Zeal, I guess. Oh, boy. Uh, But there there are lots of decisions like that that had a huge impact on the game. Kato and Hori proposed that Chrono die which doesn't happen in many RPGs where that you're like, we're going to kill off the protagonist. Yeah. And in the original plans, Chrono was going to be dead. He was going to be dead as a doornail. He was not coming back. And Square thought this was too depressing, which they later decided that's fine in Final Fantasy VII. I'm, I'm behind the idea of like Chrono just dies and is dead. I don't know what that last little bit of the game would be or if it would just be a shorter game. But like, man, killing your silent protagonist... In a JRPG? It's interesting, too, because it's not like he just dies haphazardly. He sacrifices himself. Yeah, he's, he's, he goes out the most noble death. Yeah. Trying to kill Lavos, and Lavos just steamrolls. <laughs> There's also just a lot of fun stories about the development of the game. Like, most of the score was developed by Yasunori Mitsuda, uh, with some parts, some contributions from Nobuo Umatsu. And Mitsuda was just not going to work on the game at all. Uh, I have this quote from Wikipedia. He was unhappy with his pay and threatened to leave Square if he could not compose music. Whoa. 
Sakaguchi suggested he score Chrono Trigger, remarking, maybe your salary will go up. <laughs> Did it? Did it? I one, don't know. One one hopes. Yeah. And in addition to that, like learning about things like Mitsuda slept in the studio and some of his pieces kind of relate to those experiences. The game's ending theme to Faraway Times was about like inspiring dreams, probably while asleep at the studio. Yeah, like that's that's one of the things we're talking about when we're talking about like the the all the things coming together or the coincidence. This guy decided like he was so passionate about writing music, he was going to live this surreal life while working on this game. I feel like no one made him sleep in the studio, but he did. I've only heard things about the work-life balance in Japan, so like maybe that's totally normal. Uh, I've but, heard it is not great. Yeah, but I only have my experiences from working in North America, and, and as an outsider, that, that doesn't seem like a thing that most people would want to do. No. Did you know, G, that something unusual about the music for Chrono Trigger was that normally when the music is, is scored, it, it doesn't tend to be very long because one, music takes up a lot of space, and two, it tends to be like short repeating tracks. But Mitsuda composed tunes that were each two minutes long before uh, the repeating part would start. I mean, that's a long time for yeah, a video a, game. That's a full song. That's a, yeah, that's a song. And uh, I mean, I appreciate that. It's because I played the game so many times. All the songs are stuck in my head. But like they, they didn't lack for being catchy or anything. They just he like just was able to develop the themes a lot more, which uh, I don't know it makes makes it feel like a really full soundtrack. Which I guess it was. Yeah, it, and this was news to me too. It was the game soundtrack spans three CDs, which was unprecedented for 1995, and probably is still a huge achievement. That's probably at least three hours, and that's in a game that you can beat in ten to twelve hours. When we're talking about most games having what Luigi's Mansion has like one tune. The first Luigi's Mansion has like <laughs> one or two tracks. That's the whole thing. And there are slight variations on that theme. That's that's the game. And Chrono Trigger has three CDs. Feels like a movie in some ways. Like everything being told and designed and composed together. It it felt like it was given this importance by the people working on it and it uh it comes out in the game. It didn't feel like a Stamp another one off to make big bucks sort of thing. I feel like maybe at this point Square wasn't worried about it being their quote Final Fantasy. This was like their like free time. They were in the business of making Final Fantasy games. They made six and were probably working on seven. And this was like, yeah, oh, this isn't a Final Fantasy, so we can just like let's have fun with it. And they ended up, and it ended up sounding like a passion project for lots of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're like, okay, you you've done Dragon Quest, let's bring you in. It's like, okay. You want to make a time travel game? Uh, cool. Let's do that. I, I like time travel paradoxes. Let's throw that in there. <laughs> I didn't know this either that uh, Masato Kato, the, the person who wrote a lot of the game, didn't didn't want it to be a time travel game because it, he thought it'd be boring. I can see that side of it. Like, let's repeat the same moment over like yeah. Let, let's times. just let's go to let's go to the same four locations in, in multiple times, and we'll call that you know exploring. But they like, I don't know, they added enough stuff. They added continental drift of all things. And like a lot of, a lot of cause and effect mechanics to make it kind of feel worth it. Even if it did look like you were retreating some ground. There's only like a few points in the game where I feel like, why am I here again? (laughs) Like most of the time I'm like, this is fine. I think it's the parts in like 600 AD where I'm like, 
Okay, I've done this before. It's fine. That's the only one where, where it's possible to be like, am I supposed to be in 600 or 1,000 for this? Yeah. Yeah. If it were a movie, it, it's a little hard to believe like the production schedule because you've got this like, okay, we're going to spend a year just thinking about it, making some billable hours. We're going to spend, like starting in 1992, we're going to spend a couple years like developing the game, programming it, et cetera, you know, fixing the bugs. And then when it's time to bring it to North America, you're just going to be like, ah, eh, whatever, we can get it done in a month. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's, that's what Sakaguchi asked the translator of the original version, the original North American release, Ted Woolsey. He's like, could you localize this in 30 days? And I, I don't know a lot about localization, but I know that now you have like teams of people that probably take more than a month. Yeah. We spent a year thinking about this game, but can you translate it in a month? And in addition to that, it's like, okay, so somehow, uh, from what I know of translation, it's like, here's a bunch of text dumps with no context, and here's the game you can play, I guess, but like, you've got 30 days, so you're not going to play through it a bunch. So what are you going to do? In in Wolsey's case, he was like, okay, I guess I'll get a bunch of player's guides that are going to be released. Uh, I'm going to just memorize a bunch of stuff about the gameplay and then hope the translation works out. And most of that worked. I think Z is the one of the group that's most fond of the old English in the original release in, in North America. But like mm-hmm. most of that works. Like, yeah, okay, it's Athenian water isn't man, what did they call it in the original version? Doesn't it just revive? Oh, it might be. And capsules aren't tabs and, and all these other things, but like it worked. I mean certainly when I played it as when I was younger, I I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. And I still think like having played it a bunch now. I don't think it's like laughable. It doesn't seem like, oh, this is a kid's game or anything like that. I still think it it, it more or less uh, has withstood the test of time. And it's interesting, too, because apparently this is something that Woolsey had said, is that he thinks that a lot of the 30-day rush schedule was because in Japan, a lot of games were treated as children's toys uh, rather than serious works. And like, I can just imagine like picking up a, a manga or something. And it's like, yeah, just do this in like a couple of days, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> You like My Hero Academia, right? Like, what if we could get it to you in, like, I don't know, a, a day? That'd be a quality translation, I'm sure. But, yeah, like, and that seems to, like, from a marketing standpoint, I'm sure, yes. But, like, as I said, this seemed like a a passion project for a lot of people who are treating it more seriously. Like, it's certainly kids can play it uh, and it appeals to them. But, like, they, I don't know, there's something about it that seemed like, if if not serious, but at least, like, enjoyable by everybody. Is worth doing a good job on. They must have done a good job because talking about the legacy of Chrono Trigger, the original game sold 2.5 million copies, the PlayStation and Super Nintendo combined worldwide, and the Nintendo DS version sold almost a million, about 800,000 copies. Even though it was part of a, quote, series of games, you know, three whole games, arguably two and a half. Um, yeah. Pretty popular, all things considered, and it's just surprising to me how much came out of s- such a small scrappy team so they take on a life of its own because i feel like the aforementioned nintendo power it very quickly was like this is the best game that exists <laughs> this is you know you know this is the sergeant peppers of video games i remember it was like it was like the year it, oh it was nintendo's 100th issue or nintendo power's oh. 100th issue and they ranked they did like the top 100 games and i think it was number one interesting so like it wasn't like a it wasn't like it got a cult following later everyone was like oh this game is incredible 
Yeah, well, like, I, I didn't play the game until much later on, but what I do remember extensively was ads for the game. And I, I think we've talked about this on other episodes as well. It was just, like, a two-page spread. Uh, some text on the one page literally does not matter what it said because I, even though I could read, I didn't read it because the other page was, like, a four-by-three grid of screenshots of different time periods, cool futures, old past arrows pointing around everywhere and a clock somewhere that indicated that there was time travel going on and that was it that's all i needed to know like, that well, i was in. on board yeah was like <laughs> that was my time i was like back to the future 2 was my favorite movie they went to the future the the year 2015 <laughs> yeah the distant future <laughs> as we look back with our 2020 vision hey yo we've also passed blade runner oh my god november 2019 We've uh, we've crossed a lot of milestones in the future. We haven't reached twenty three hundred AD yet. Oh, we'll get there. I mean, we won't. Yeah, well, not not likely. No. Um, <laughs> but it, like that stuck out to me. Like the the ads for this game. Much later on, when the DS version came out, they had a ridiculously simple ad, which is just like "Hello, Chrono" on a black screen, and then the bottom of it is just like Chrono Trigger coming out on the DS at this point. <laughs> You know you love this game, nerds. Go buy it. <laughs> I mean, it worked. I've, I've certainly bought at least oh. three copies of the game. Oh, man, I've paid for this game so many times. <laughs> and, and other stuff that came out of it, like Xenogears is, is, I think, also done by Masato Kato. It's the spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. I should probably take it out. It came out in 1988. has a cameo with Luca. Radical Dreamers came out on the Satellaview, but has lived on in the form of the ROM of the game. Chrono Cross came out in 1999, which, while a very different game, is also quite good. There have been at least three different fan games. Crimson cool. Echoes. Cr- no, Chrono-, Chrono Break was just a thing they uh, they trademarked. That, yeah. that wasn't one of them, wasn't it? No, uh, but like Crimson okay. Echoes is a big one. Chrono Crisis, I think, was another one. Okay, yeah. You also have like the the Unreal Engine remakes that never made it to, to the public before getting cease and desisted. You've got time travel mechanics from Chrono Trigger being used as the basis for Final Fantasy XIII 2. Interesting. You've got a re-release of the original game on the DS 13 years after the original came out with absolutely no business coming out at all. Yeah, no. Not at all. No. You've got The Race Against Time, our annual charity livestream. And you've got the Zeal Archives. Like Those are all some pretty big things that definitely belong in the same category. Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, and also like it, it's not like Chrono Trigger is faded into the background. They they include music in the Final Fantasy theater rhythm games. I feel like Chrono Trigger's always been this like it's kind of a Final Fantasy. Like it's like half a Final Fantasy. It kind of gets included sometimes. Like I remember buying it for the PlayStation. It came with uh, Final Fantasy Four. Yeah, with anth- it was the anth- Final Fantasy anthology. It was, I believe, the chronology. The anthology was five and six. Right. Yeah. And then Origins was one and two. Yeah, so it's always been this, like, it's part of Square, 100%, and it's kind of like a Final Fantasy game. Deliberate palette choices to not be Final Fantasy, but to be like Final Fantasy. It just, I think it's just like, it was so well regarded, they're like, yeah, we can stick it in this thing of Final Fantasy stuff. Uh, I assume there are no Chrono Cross characters that appear in the theater of the games. Probably, like, I feel like the most memorable part of Chrono Cross, and this isn't because it's a bad game, it's partly 
due to my lack of huge memory with it and how much lore it introduces relative to Chrono Trigger. But I feel like there's like a few musical tracks that really stick out for that. And then maybe you've got like Kid and Surge and Guile. Yeah. All your favorites. Yeah. The hits. (laughs) The hits. And it's just like, it's impressive given that it was one or two or two and a half games, how much has, has come out of it. And I was kind of wondering, G, what impact has the game had on you, on like your taste in music, TV, video games, etc.? Um, it certainly made me play more games that started with the word Chrono. <laughs> like, <laughs> if Chrono Cross had been released as not related, I would never have played it, which would be a shame because it's a game I really like. But yeah, that I also tried wa- tried to watch Chrono Crusade in the hopes that it was related. But also, yeah. <laughs> I also fell into that uh, trap. Um, <clears throat> weirdly, like it, I think it's more like it raised my expectations of games because in terms of story and characters, I actually think uh, FF Six is a little better. But I think Chrono Trigger is a is like the best game. So it just like it it just yeah raised my expectations for for games and what. And what a game from that era looking like that uh, is able to do. Like everything is really colorful and vibrant and makes sense and has, you know, it has probably the first, oh no, that'd be back to the future. I'm trying to, I was going to say the first mechanic of time travel that I like took on board in my head, but it would probably be back to the future. But they follow similar ones where you can go back to the past and change stuff. Yeah. Versus lost, whatever happened, happened. <laughs> I was just going to say, for me, it's hard to measure the impact. I wouldn't have necessarily said it was my favorite game, and it's always been one of my favorite games. But I think like so much of that has to do with it was just this really well-executed combination of story and gameplay and all of that. And I mean, this might be going out on a limb. I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg, but it definitely had some contribution to me being a gigantic weeb and nerd and geek. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even if it's just, even if it's like, like you had said, oh, I didn't realize till much later that Akira Toriyama did the art. It's like, yeah. But when you know that you, you secret, you know, deep down that like whatever was there just came out more, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure I watched Dragon Ball and played Chrono Trigger and didn't have any idea that the two were related, but they were Mm -hmm. definitely sowing seeds of like sowing seeds of, you know, you want to see more anime. You want to see more of this style of stuff. You want to see more of these kinds of stories. You want to have more games that are, are more character driven and not necessarily go save the world. Like, or maybe they are go save the world, but it's go save the world by killing God or whatever happens to be the narrative. (laughs) yeah it's chrono trigger is like a the perfect three minute pop song like 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 it doesn't have the edgiest or the coolest or the deepest characters or the most heartfelt romance or anything like that but everything in it is so perfectly done that it's still like this this shining jewel of an example of like video games with that being said do we need more Mm -hmm. chrono trigger is it is it still relevant are the, or you know we we kind of put it on this pedestal you were saying that admittedly at this point two decades ago um in the 100th at this point two and a half decades ago ish um nintendo power is like you know number one game out of top 100 games or, or whatever 
Um, are there other games that are more deserving than Chrono Trigger in video game history? All right, let me answer all of those questions. Oh, boy. In the order that you pose them. Hey. Do we need more Chrono Trigger? No. We don't. Even if we got the gang back together, every single person that worked on it came back to collaborate on a new game, that would be good, but it wouldn't be Chrono Trigger. Part of it is like it's it's singularity, even though there was Chrono Cross. It's just like singularity of this thing that happened, and the expectations would be so ridiculous that I don't think the game that came out could possibly like achieve what what people think Chrono Trigger is in their heads. Uh, I include myself in that. Is it still relevant today? I would say no. It doesn't have the context it did when it came out. Like, if you played it now, it is revolutionary in no way. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. Got it. Okay. I, I was because uh, I was like, what do you what do you what do you mean? I mean it's, not it's still a great game. I'm sure people would play it and enjoy it. Is it relevant? No. Is okay. relevant to what video games are now? No. It may be a bit of the look. It's taken for, for a lot of indie games. Are there other games more deserving in video game history? Yes. But I haven't played those games. <laughs> I've played this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean as far as relevant today, like I was thinking relevancy and it's like I guess, is it still worth playing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, of course it is. There's a great game in there. I mean, I feel like some people will have the reaction to it that some people have to black and white movies. Like, oh, I can't watch something from back then because of X, Y, and Z. Like, like it's it's so old that people are like, I can't get, get into this. But if you can get into it, it's a great game. And it still is. I feel pretty similarly. Chrono Trigger was a is an rpg classic and it defied some of the classic parts that made and continues to make so many rpgs unapproachable like games that have 20 hour or 40 hour tutorials and even even now like that is the norm and chrono trigger is like what if you could just finish the game in a short period of time what if that was reasonable whereas there are other games that are are short and i would say aren't worth playing just because they're they're clunky or they're hard to play um, Secret of Mana, for example, may have done a bunch of interesting things and may have an interesting story, but as a game, I would say it's not relevant by comparison because it is so much harder to approach. And hmm. playing the remake made lots of that evident. I agree that we probably don't need more Chrono Trigger. I want more, but I think that's fine. You don't always, you can't always get what you want. That's part of the beauty of it. Yeah, that's you part of the get beauty. Enough. Of it. That's that's right. It's better to be left wanting more than to be given too much. Sorry, Final Fantasy fans. I think Final Fantasy is a is a bit of a different story because it's found its stride in telling different but similar it, stories with the same sort of aesthetic. It is an anthology series. Yeah. And that aesthetic has has quickly become zippers. <laughs> Just everywhere. And people still wear cargo shorts in Final Fantasy. <laughs> I like cargo shorts. <laughs> I don't like seeing them on, on Bishonen. Okay, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> as, as for like more deserving games, like, yeah, probably. But I think we can also have lots of games and put them up, in, enshrine them as good examples of games in video game history. Chrono Trigger for me is one of those. There are many Zelda games that are also up there for me. In terms of RPGs, I'm not sure that there are many others, but I, I think that has more to do with, uh, as previously mentioned, the approachability of the, the entire genre. I mean, related, I think 
Breath of the Wild deserves a very high place in video game history. I don't love playing it a lot of the time. Yeah, it d- definitely walks a different path. Whether or not you or I think it's relevant today, or if we need more Chrono Trigger, or if there's any other deserving game, I think there's nothing that's more telling than this little factoid I found. So for those who do not know, Japan uses a different calendaring system. I believe it's still like the same months and years, but they have these eras of time. So very recently, the Heisei era wrapped up. Uh, I believe it was in May of 2019. And Famitsu is a very popular video game magazine in Japan. And the Heisei era covers from 1989 to 2019. That's a really long period of time, especially in video game history. That's pretty much the entirety of video game history, more or less. There's like, I don't know, five years before that or something. Yeah. But it's it's a long time. And Famitsu readers had a poll of, you know, what is their favorite games of the Heisei era? Third place, Nier Automata, a game which I believe came out in 2017 or 2016 or, or something like that. Fairly recent. Uh, followed by Breath of the Wild in second place, which I believe is tw- also 2017. I, actually, hang on. I'm reading it now. Oh, perfect. Nier Automata, released February 23rd, 2017. 2017, okay. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, released March 3rd, ten less than 10 days later. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But the most telling part is is what came in first place out of the entirety of the Heisei era of games. And we're talking about, you know, is there any game more deserving of video game history? People could have picked anything. They could have picked Street Fighter. They could have picked um, World of Warcraft. They could have picked Starcraft. But the number one pick for Famitsu readers for the Heisei era from 1989 to 2019 was Chrono Trigger. Yeah, it's two games from a very eventful week in 2017. And then a 25-year-old game. Some people are thinking about it. Hey, wait up! What? Why are you in such a hurry to get home so late? I feel like that's pretty obvious. Hmm, no. Look, you seemed off all day. I wanted to know if you're okay. <sighs> it's fine. Just some work-related stuff I don't really want to talk about okay well i won't pry but if you do need to talk about anything just say something okay okay i'll i'll let you know right now i just need something to focus on that's good you know like when i think about doing that final fantasy 6 project or or making music or just being in a better place literally that helps a lot Were you serious about the bad scientist thing back in the office? (laughs) Well, people do regularly fail to recognize my genius, and I do have urges to show them all from time to time. (laughs) I have been tinkering with some things, definitely headed a bit in that direction, definitely starting to experiment. But I am a bit short on supplies. Interesting. I think I might be able to help with that. Crap, I'm about to miss my bus. I'll see you tomorrow. No problem. Talk to you tomorrow. I feel something having a powerful effect on the very fabric of time. Indeed.
Zeal Archives is a Mixcast production and can be found on most podcatchers or at the source zealarchives.com. If you have comments, criticisms, or kudos for episodes past, present, or future, we are on Twitter and Facebook as Zeal Archives. To learn more about the hosts, PNG, you can also check out thenextcast.com or on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at thenextcast.com. 